0: Welcome to KX Emerging Research. We're focusing on research that's happening right now. It's science so fresh you haven't even heard about it yet. I'm Stacy Cochran. And I'm Kim Winslow from the Knowledge Exchange. For our new podcast format, we're getting right to the research, but we're breaking it into bite-sized chunks. You mean, are you are you talking about like bite-sized candy bars instead
1: of full size <laughs> candy bars?
0: Bite-sized candy bars, yes. No big Hirsch bar for you.
1: <laughs> I... I'm a little disappointed at that prospect, but I'm happy for our audience so that they can get through an entire story, because now we'll have shorter podcasts. Each is actually focused on a single research project, and it's part of a series where you'll learn a little bit about our college researchers and what they're working on. Today, we are talking
0: pests. Specialty crop entomologist Ashley Leach joins us from the Department of Entomology in the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences. Welcome, Ashley.
2: Hey, Ashley. Hi! I'm excited to talk to you guys today.
0: Wonderful. We have some interesting topics to talk about, and I just want to mention you're a relatively new addition to Ohio State. I think you can say that, right?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Still drinking from the fire hose? Yeah! (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, and you've already jumped right into several research projects, including what we're going to talk about today, a current study on the spotted lanternfly.
1: Yeah, and I know many of us in the state may not have seen or heard about the spotted lanternfly, but for those of you who have not, they are on their way and they are destructive.
0: Yeah, I have one word for you, honeydew. That's
1: disgusting. I prefer cantaloupe. An economic (laughs) threat for our agricultural producers, these are brightly colored leafhoppers with uh, basically scarlet and gray wings go Ohio State that feed (laughs) on grapevines and cause damage largely in orchards as well. And so Ohio State researchers are in a unique position to be able to study the movement of these pests since they're still relatively new around here. And Ashley, you're involved in one new study on the spotted lanternfly that involves biomonitoring or eDNA testing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah. So The idea behind this is, so environmental DNA is essentially, it's very similar to what we think about with, like, forensics, you know, when we go through a crime scene and the the person who committed that crime doesn't have to be in that room in order for us to point the finger at that individual. And so we're doing the same kind of thing where our culprit here is spotted lanternfly. And so they leave a lot of stuff behind, a lot of DNA behind in the form of, primarily we're thinking it's honeydew, um, but it could be things like exoskeletons being shed. It could be just through feeding activities. But the idea is that we have the specific primer Where we can collect this eDNA from the environment, from these vulnerable agroecosystems, bring those samples back, and then test them using our uh, SLF-specific primer to determine if we actually had the SLF in that environment or not. That is fascinating.
0: Right. So this may be, people may not have seen the leafhoppers, they've not seen the bugs, but you can tell they've been there.
2: Well, it depends. So that so that's part of the reason why this technique is so useful for spotted lanternfly, is because right now in Ohio we have four counties with active populations of spotted lanternfly. Uh, that's Jefferson, Cuyahoga, Lorraine, and Hamilton County. Hamilton County that's a recent addition in uh, oh. December twenty two. Um, but basically. We have low numbers of SLF right now across the state, which is different from just the state right next door, Pennsylvania, which we have really, really high densities, very heavily colonized, but we're not at that point yet. But mm-hmm. every model you look at right now, where these you know statisticians have gone through, put in all the covariates to try to explain SLF spread, they say it's gonna get bad in Ohio and it's gonna mm-hmm. look just as bad as it looks in Pennsylvania. But we don't have those numbers yet. So that yet is what we're kind of taking advantage of right now to understand some colonization biology and ecology regarding this um, organism. But also the reality is we have low levels. And these mm-hmm. guys like to climb up to tall um, uh, trees, buildings, whatever it might be. So it's really unusual for you to always see every SLF because mm-hmm. they're going to be up in the canopies. And the okay. reality is we're not as tall as the is. <laughs> right. So but what happens is those SLF will they'll be eaten. And then, of course, as things work out for this organism <laughs> they'll also be pooping and gravity is gonna pull that honeydew do do, down to the trunk of the tree so we don't have to visually see that animal and be able mm-hmm. to just take that sample on the tree trunk and say okay this this individual we have some slf in this environment that's why this is such a cool approach to take with
1: invasive insects and with this insect in particular which produces a lot of trace dna <laughs> I love this concept because you're right, you don't have to spot it, no pun intended, mm-hmm. <laughs> in order to know that it's there. What's the advantage then to be collecting this data on the front end if we know that the spotted lanternfly is likely going to be something we see throughout Ohio?
2: That's a great question. And it's something I have lots of people asking me, right? Because <laughs> it's it's the so what? Like, you know, okay, mm-hmm. actually, that's nice. So what? Um, and I'll tell you, my grandma Tell, ask me that same question every single time I go home for Thanksgiving, I tell her about what yes. I do. So what, Ashley? Maybe she's
0: <laughs> yes.
2: Which is good. She's the, she's the, the, like, person I always have in my brain whenever I'm writing grant proposals. So what, so, Ashley?
0: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> anyway,
2: That's <a> solid move. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we look at what happened in Pennsylvania, um, we could, we could be pretty alarmed because, those growers, those stakeholders were caught unaware. And because they were caught unaware, they lost a lot. They lost yield, they lost vines altogether. So the primary uh, problem here with spotted lanternfly is that it really likes a, a variety of different specialty crops. Now, grape is the most, the best one, I guess I should say, for a spotted lanternfly. Um, across the board, doesn't matter really what vitus species we're talking about, spotted lanternfly will probably have an affinity for it, is what they're actually seeing in some emerging research out in the Mid Atlantic. So if we start to look at that and go, okay, Pennsylvania lost vines, it lost yield. We have you know wines that came out of Pennsylvania called Vine Killer, and they feature oh spotted goodness. lanternfly on the label. So this is this is an animal that has the capacity to really impact this industry, um, and it's an industry Ohio leads it. We have a lot of wineries here in the state, yes. and those wineries have vineyards right next door, and so you can see that. So what becomes a little bit um, cl- more clear because our detection and our early management efforts can help slow the spread. They can help tamp down um, those effects that we saw that were very negative in Pennsylvania. So we now have lead lead time. We can go, okay, we've seen SLF over here. We've seen it over there. And it looks like these covariates are starting to pop up as being risk factors. Do you fit that model? And do you need Mm -hmm. to start scouting your woodlot? Do you need to start scouting your vineyard edges? Uh, So that's kind of what we're hoping to do. We're in the early, early stages, but I think giving those growers more information and letting them know
1: what risk factors they might have is going to benefit them in the long term. That makes a lot of sense, especially if you're saying that there are different management options that can come into play in those earlier stages that may be more impactful as a result of catching it on that front end. Absolutely.
0: Nice. So who's involved in this project with you?
1: We
2: have so many people that are involved uh, with our spotted lanternfly projects and it's it's really just a lot of really wonderful people if I'm being completely honest that have Great. all contributed significantly to it and that's you know uh, Andy Michael here in the entomology department has worked a lot with this project um, looking at really the the actual extraction of DNA from these samples. We have an awesome technician, Danera Kelsey, who's out there with her. I I didn't even mention this, but the way we collect this DNA is through paint rollers. Oh, nice. And she's out there in the heart of Cleveland with these giant paint rollers. And I kid you not, like, people slow down in their cars. I was going to say, are
0: they calling the police? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What is she doing?
2: Yeah, which, I mean, I would too, right? Right, Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's out there doing some wonderful uh, collection and running these analyses. Jonathan Lee, who is a graduate PhD uh, student here in the department, is also doing a lot of great work looking at the droplet PCR and the qPCR. Um, so we can start to actually quantify what we're finding as well, in addition to just the presence absence that we're getting from our PCR results. Sure. So, um, yeah, those are the immediate ones that come to mind. But, uh, you They're know, so very neat. fortunate to be in a, a community that is so helpful and, and bright. Yeah. yeah. And
1: collaborative. And yes. yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I know at the beginning of this podcast, we opened it up by saying honeydew versus cantaloupe. Can you actually say what honeydew is from our spotted SLF pests? Sure.
2: Is this? Uh, yeah, it's it's just poop. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. moving on. No, I'm yeah, no, exactly. Um,
2: but it has a lot to do with the biology, or you know, the biology of this species. So it's it's like having you know Slurpees cups of, of or- yes, yeah, sl- like basically like having a big forty ounce water bottle or whatever just full of sugar water and you're drinking that every minute of the day and you're gonna have to pee a lot right (laughs) you know what i mean you're gonna be running Mm -hmm. the bathroom and that's the same idea with this organism so it's hooked into that phloem tissue so it's just constantly processing all of that phloem and so as a result it's getting a whole lot out the back end and then it's a honeydew essentially and it's sticky
0: and it's a mess oh yeah
2: Oh yeah. It's not, it's not desirable at all. in any, And so when we talk about spotted lanternfly, we talk about these direct impacts to the plant. How are we going to get yield reductions? You know, what is it doing to the quality of that uh, fruit? What's it doing to maybe this uh, overwintering success, you know, the physiological impacts. Sure. And that's, you know, the sphere that I often work in, but the one that's actually becoming, I think, more prominent or is more prominent in media is the fact that no one wants these giant insects around. You know what I mean? Nobody wants hundreds of spotted lanternflies, or any insect coating their backyard. And not only is that unsightly, but it's also a bunch of honeydew, a bunch of sticky, copious goo Mm. that is falling on your picnic table. It's coating the surfaces of you fill in the blank. And it's also a really nice medium for things like sooty mold. And so you get this, this, you know, sooty mold that's popping up and that's coating the surface of these different plants. And it's also a photosynthetic block. So you, you can see like it's a, it's a multifaceted yeah. issue here.
1: Yes, this is almost this is a ripple effect. Yeah. Well, And that was something that stood out uh, from a previous conversation that we had is you're right. Some of those direct impacts to our producers are already a tough thing to deal with. But add on top of that, homeowners are likely not going to like these guys either yep. because they attract bees, if I remember correctly, or at least other insects that yes. you might not want around all the time. Yes,
2: absolutely. I mean, I love bees. I love, you know, I'm an entomologist, right? I have to see <laughs> You have to. Box. Me too. <laughs> uh, I signed a contract at the end of my PhD, Um, But the reality is I don't want to be hounded by wasps, and that's exactly what they're finding um, in these areas with really high infestations of spotted lanternflies. We have a whole suite of insects that are being attracted to this, primarily honeydew.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. That's great. Well, we already dealt with the cicadas, so are we looking at another summer of being irritated by invasive pests. That sounds exciting. Yeah. Um, So you mentioned uh, grapevines, but what other plants, what other um, crops do these um, insects affect?
2: You know, I wish I could give you a real nice, cute answer on that. (laughs) You know, I wish I could be like, like, hey, (laughs) this is the full impact. And I think that's where it can get scary for people when I, when I start to talk about this bug. So what we're doing right now is we're saying, all right, what's the impact in the Mid-Atlantic? Because we can't say what's the impact in the Midwest. It's not here yet. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they're finding in Pennsylvania and the Mid-Atlantic generally is a lot of tree fruit can have can host this insect. What the impact of that pest is on the tree fruit is a little unknown. So where they're seeing negative impacts on freezing example, peaches. There's been research done on on apples. We can get really high densities on apples. Mm. Uh, The one that maybe scares me a little bit is cucurbits uh, because they are seeing that nymphs, those little guys can pop onto, or I I shouldn't say those little nymphs, I should describe it. These are the early uh, stages of spotted lanternfly. They can actually pop onto those cucurbit plants early on in the season. Oh no. That's not great for the Midwest. We are a right. large producer of cucurbits, you know, so that is something I get a little nervous about. Hops,
1: they've actually found oh them no, SLF, candy. Okay, now SLF we're talking
0: here. Yeah, I know, I know.
2: <laughs> what they're doing is, you know that that bug's just taking off everything you like, right? Yeah, That's right. An
0: omnivore Dude, next, <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. it'll eat anything.
2: Uh uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that's what we're seeing is a a pretty, I should say, a potentially broad impact on specialty crops. Now, the reason why I don't have the answers in full is because it's it's difficult to gather that data. A lot of times we're looking at the field record, you know, what grower has come in saying this is a problem Mm -hmm. and actually doing manipulated studies can be really difficult, but they are starting that up at Penn State.
1: Well, so I guess a follow-up question to that would be, Based on this project, you're going through, you're collecting the eDNA to see if it's there. What happens if you find it in a county that is not in the four counties that it's already established?
2: So that I report directly to the Ohio Department of Agriculture. So we do have a direct collaboration with them or, you know, relationship with them. They should be the first ones to know because they're the ones that can mount an appropriate response to this insect. Sure, uh, they have the information. They, you know, they're the ones doing a lot of really great uh, control measures. In Cleveland, for example, going up and trying to figure out uh, how, where to control these, when to control them, all that kind of stuff. So we have had a situation though. It was not outside of a quarantine county or it was not outside of a county that had spotted lanternfly, but it was within one. Um, because even within a county, you can get a lot of variation, right? You could have a little hotspot here and then nothing else. And that's exactly what we have right now, to be clear. Uh, but there was one, one area that it was a private property. We were sampling it all of 2022 and at the very tail end we saw this peak, positives come through. Oh, no. Never saw any individuals there. Oh my gosh. So we went out to those sites, said, okay, do we see any when we scout them? Right. Nothing. Nope. And then we t- go back through the eDNA and it's positive. And so that individual was very obviously, <laughs> okay, what do I do about it? And so we were yeah. able to provide those resources and uh,
1: leveraging a lot of the results from Penn. Yeah. And I mean, I feel bad that we have to be learning from an experience that's as nasty as Pennsylvania, but at least we are on that cutting edge. So with that in mind, what is the timeline and are you still looking for like our extension educators or anyone else to be providing help in showcasing what these SLF egg mats look like, or, you know, basically keep an eye out?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're actively working with any and all stakeholders in any and all forms, you know, because we could talk. You know, my world. I'm a specialty crop entomologist, so I, I, my first and foremost is the specialty crop stakeholders, which sure. typically are my growers, so it's the extension educators, and stuff like that that may be working with those commodities. So we've done a whole range of. Trainings and things like that with these with the stakeholders um, in uh, collaboration with the OSU Extension Educators. So they're going to facilitate a lot of these trainings, and we're getting some really nice responses back saying, you know, that was great. You know, we learned something, and we're gonna we're gonna apply it. And they actually did a had a really cool thing happen where last year. Right after, it was about two weeks after a training, um, and this was a training I actually wasn't affiliated with, it was an OSU um, Extension educator ran this training, and two weeks later, someone from that training said, you know what, I found something, oh, no. and it what? was yeah, and it was wow. a spotted lanternfly egg mass. Oh my gosh! Oh my and goodness. so, but that's got to be so cool, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> yes, this, right? this this connected piece there, which is what we all strive for. I think in extension is oh man, there was a real impact
0: there. Yes, yes, so, what a great
1: example.
2: Absolutely. So we're we're collaborating actively with all of those individuals and any stakeholder that wants, you know, especially those vulnerable agro ecosystems, those managers that that you know take care of that ground if they're concerned we're going to come out and visit with you and we're going to take a sample and we're going to look um for slf so that's what we did last year we had seven wineries or vineyards that we sampled at, and this year we're hoping to expand that
1: by 15 sites awesome yeah and i'm yeah it's great to hear that it's so collaborative
0: yeah is there a good website or is there a good resource for people that want to learn more about the egg masses or what they look like or what to look out for that we can share yeah,
2: yeah absolutely so it would be i think it's called StopSLF.org. Okay. honestly if you google spotted fly plus ohio okay. you're going to get a lot of really important resources that are going to pop up for you and that's first The Ohio Department of Agriculture is going to have a really nice website talking about how to report spotted lanternfly, what the signs and symptoms are of spotted lanternfly. You're also going to see Ohio State has produced a good amount of resources in collaboration with both urban and agricultural extension educators. Uh, Once again, doing very similar things, uh, looking at how can we identify this insect. And so Amy Stone is awesome, awesome, awesome. And she yes, is doing a Amy. lot. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, I defer to her when it comes to all <laughs> this, uh, but she's been doing some really excellent work uh, with the stakeholders and and different people and, and really contrasting places. You know, we're talking about urban environments. We're talking about agricultural environments. So she's been just a world of information and nice. she's produced a lot of those resources that you can also find online.
1: Ashley, thank you so much. I know that this is sometimes a tough topic for people because it feels intimidating. It feels like, you know, what is this going to mean for us? But I love that your project is looking at ways to try to get ahead of it so our producers and our homeowners, anyone interested, can try and do their part to minimize what we might see in the future. So thanks for talking to us about this. Of
2: course. I'll talk all day long. Love it. That's my job.
0: Let's take this offline. (laughs) Thank you, Ashley. And join us for the next episode in our pest series, where we'll talk about balancing the needs of pollinators with pest management strategies. And thanks for joining us for the KX Emerging Research Podcast. For more fresh science, visit kx.osu.edu.